Good afternoon. It is Thursday again. That means we're here at Around the Waves. And today we got a fun schedule planned for you guys. Uh, of course, we're going to start it off just uh, introdu- introducing. Um, if you can't listen to our whole show live, uh, hey, no worries. We got a Spotify for you. Uh, we upload our podcast on it. Just search Around the Waves and you can listen to all episodes whenever you please. Uh, in other news, Mizzou cross-country runner earned Southeastern Conference Freshman of the Week on his first time since 2013. And uh, we're also going to get ready for Mizzou football. That's gonna They're going to start playing here at 6 o'clock Saturday, and uh, we're going to have to face a tough team in the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, but good news for Mizzou, they, uh, they get five players back for, uh, for Saturday's game against Bama after inclusive COVID-19 uh, test two more players though do opt out of the season being uh, C J Boone and Jack uh, Buford. Uh, Luca, are you excited for the show today? Yes, sir, I am. And as you guys know, Ryan just introduced us. And um, before we head to break, I just wanted to say that we have our second guest of the show, Adam Rungi from St. Charles, Missouri, and he'll be joining us shortly on the show. But until then, we'll see you guys after the break. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. KCOU would like to shout out East Side Tavern. It's the bar that's bizarre. Downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, East Side is a solid place to hang out. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Mm, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm, man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Mm, man.
Thursday again, everyone, and we're ready to get started with our opinion segments. We're definitely going to start with them Cowboys, the America's football team. Then we're going to talk about Sunday Night Football. Who stole that storyline? Was it Cam Newton or Russell Wilson? And then finally, we're going to get to the NFC East. Is it time to panic about Carson Wentz? And then finally, for our last one, the MLB. Are the Padres for real? All right, so Ryan, we're going to get started with them Cowboys here. The Dallas Cowboys regained possession of the ball with one minute and 48 seconds left in the game, down 39-37 due to a Falcons onside kick blunder. The Cowboys were able to snatch victory with Zerloin's 46-yard field goal as time expired, which led to the Falcons stunning 40-39 loss to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday, a loss that dropped Atlanta 0-2. Okay, Ryan, did the Cowboys win it or did the Falcons lose it? Yeah, Luca, America's team nearly chokes again, but Greg Zerline plays hero in Dallas. Uh, this was a tough game because, yes, uh, uh, Dallas had a lot. Uh, they played really well after halftime, and they, you know, they uh, did take that game by storm. But I will say, just towards the very end, where clearly the Falcons players could have jumped on that onside kickball, and they just watched it. I gotta go with the Falcons choked on this one, man. I know last year, I mean, last week, uh, the Cowboys lost. And actually, I guess the following week, the Cowboys lost again. They choked. And everyone thought they were going to choke again. But what does Atlanta do? They watch the ball on the onside kick. And Greg Zerline comes and hits a, hits a game winner for the field goal. And I think everyone knew that he was going to hit that thing as well because it's Greg the leg, and he wasn't going to miss that. But again, Atlanta, what are you doing? You had to just, all you had to do was jump on it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Zeke only went 89 yards. Uh, he looked horrible in the first couple of drives of the game, fumbling a couple of balls. But then he got it back together. But again, this is his second week with him not getting another touchdown. So I don't know what's going on with Big Zeke there. But of course, the Falcons holding Big Zeke to only 89 is really good for them. Uh, Matt Ryan, he goes 273 yards. He throws four touchdowns. And uh, I will say, Dallas, good job. They only held Todd Gurley to 61 yards. And uh, that is just, that's really good for Dallas to see. But yeah, uh, Luke, I got to go with Atlanta uh, choked on this one. Well, Ryan, we happen to agree on this topic. You know why? Because them Cowboy fans, after that game ended, all I heard was them saying we're going to win the Super Bowl. That's all I heard. But listen here. I watched this game. The first quarter, the Falcons were up 20 to nothing at the end of the first quarter because Dallas fumbled it four times in the, within the first five minutes during that quarter. Then I recall the Falcons being up 29 to 10 at halftime, and I even recall seeing them with a 15-point lead with less than five minutes left in the game. And let me just keep this in mind. All they had to do was get one stop. And what do they do? They fall flat on their face. All right, listen, Ryan, I'm about to say something that I thought I would never have to say in the air in my life. The Atlanta Falcons might be the most pathetic team I have ever watched in recent memory. The last time I checked, when that onside kick occurred, the Falcons are allowed, they are allowed, I repeat, to pounce on the ball before it goes 10 yards. The Cowboys have to wait until it crosses 10 yards. I believe there were six different Atlanta Falcons who formed some sort of protective circle around the football they didn't jump on it before dallas actually had the chance to take possession and those six players acted if the rules for a normal kickoff applied for an onside kick to me it almost looked like they were waiting it for to go out of bounds get some sort of touchback i don't know but let me say this the falcons have not been the same since they blew that 25 point lead in the super bowl three years ago against the new england patriots and also 
Dan Quinn's time in Atlanta needs to come to an end. He has gotten rid more of assistants within the past year than I think any coach has in the past century. Yes, the Falcons could have ran the ball more effectively. Yeah, Julio Jones should have caught that touchdown pass from Matt Ryan, but the Falcons choked. Their defense was Swiss cheese on those last two late drives where Dak Prescott basically marched the entire offense and scored two touchdowns in a matter of minutes. The only way the Cowboys were going to win this game was if they recovered from that onside kick. And what do they do? They do that. They basically, they take it, they win it. The Falcons just sur- surrendered the football. They looked clueless. It was embarrassing. But before I give it back to you, Ryan, I do want to give Dak Prescott some credit. He did not quit. He was able to be the leader. He was able to get the team over the hump. They bounced back, and they won. Yeah, man. Any Cowboys fans out there, you, your team looked good. Uh, I have to agree with what you said, Luca, in the Atlanta Falcons being just a choking team. The last, thing, last time I can remember them blowing a 20-point lead is a Super Bowl where they blew that 28-3 lead against, to the Patriots. Yes, and that's they just, did. That's just crazy, man. That just can't happen. But, uh, yeah, anyways, we'll move on to our next topic here. Uh we're going to be talking about which QB took the storyline this week. Was it Cam or Russ? This one's going to be with Luke, with Luca, and we also have Adam Runge on the call for this one as well. So, uh, Luca, why don't you get to it, man? All right. Well, I just want to have Adam uh, go on the mic so we can just check his uh, volume. Hey, Adam, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Excellent. So. We're ready to get started with that Sunday night football game that was remarkable as both Russell Wilson and Cam Newton were putting on that show. Newton nearly led the New England Patriots on a vintage fourth-quarter comeback against those Seahawks, but he was stopped at that one-yard line of the final play of a 35-30 loss at Century Link Field. So, Adam, which quarterback took the storyline? Was it Cam or Russ? Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was definitely an instant classic game only a five point obviously ended at the one yard line i really think that cam's taken the storyline so far this year it's only been two weeks but it, at, at the beginning of the offseason it was who's going to be the quarterback and then it was like how cam going to do how cam going to fit into their system and so far they're adapting week to week belichick is showing that he's not just tom brady he <clears throat> Excuse me. He's fitting into the system perfectly. He only threw 19 passes in week one, but he threw 44 in week two, even though he rushed for significantly fewer yards. So I just think that the way he's fitting into the system is just taking the whole league by storm right now. And I think he could be um, a possible MVP candidate if he gets more touchdowns. Okay. And who was your answer exactly again? I didn't. I didn't get that at the beginning because that we had some technical difficulties here. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I think Cam is really taking the storyline, not just in the game, but also across the season through two weeks so far. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson with the five touchdowns in week two was fantastic, and he did win the game. But Cam Newton and just the way he fits into their system, I think it's taking the storyline. Yes, um, obviously to me, um, it's Russell Wilson's MVP uh, MVP year with dominant performance in each of those first two games. But you're right, Cam Newton took the storyline from Russell Wilson in this game, and it's simply because his career is on the line every time he plays. He So let's just talk about this. Cam Newton finished 30 of 44 pass attempts for 397 passing yards with one touchdown, one interception with 47 yards and 11 carries and two touchdowns. Now listen here, in uh, 2015, I'm sorry, when Wilson and Newton were the best quarterbacks on the planet Earth, 
Cam Newton ended up winning that MVP because the type of performance he displayed on the field. And that is exactly what we saw on Sunday night when he went up against Russell Wilson. When he went against those Seahawks, I told you on Sunday night, he looked, in other words, Superman. Superman's back. So when they played the Dolphins in week one, I would say it was more about calling plays for just Newton trying to create some RPO game, just doing enough offensively to win the game against those Dolphins. But after that game, I remember people were questioning whether or not can Cam Newton create some sort of a passing game, not only down the field, but to the numbers that he has in a disposable, such as Nikhil Harry, Julian Edelman, Jacoby Myers. But Sunday night, he did a great job. What basically how I put it is he turned the ignition on in the car, and basically Cam Newton took the car, took the gas pedal, and accelerated. And he did a fantastic job. I mean, I'm sure you saw those connections he had with Julian Edelman in the slot when he was facing Jamal Adams, who's arguably probably this best safety in the game. Newton was able to fling that football with accuracy to Edelman. He threw with velocity. He threw with confidence. He ran effectively at the ball. And when he was under pressure, he was not shying away from those big, big dudes on Seattle's defense. So I got to give Cam Newton some credit. He may be back. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, Cam, obviously, like you said, taking the storyline. And like you said, he's, he's rushing or he's passing depending on the defense and just kind of the situation in the game. Cam accounted for 95.7 of the past week two yards. That's 444 for 464, either rushing or passing. So, I mean, he is just all over the field for the Patriots, and Belichick is just having fun with a new toy. Yeah, totally agree with you in this case. Um, let's just talk about how last year the Patriots went 12-4. and four. The only difference between this year and last year in the offense is the quarterback. Tom Brady played with these exact same players. And Tom Brady looked old. He didn't look like he could play with this team. But the reason why I feel like Cam Newton is such as he's such an intriguing option is that he's able to run with the ball. He's a dual threat like Lamar Jackson and those guys. So by eight, and not only does he make himself look better on the field under Bill Belichick, but he's making those rookies from last year, such as Nikhil Harry. And then you got now uh, Demir Br- uh, Bird. They're all looking great underneath him. So I feel like Cam Newton is actually a good fit for this team. Yeah, for sure. I think he is definitely starting to become a leader in there because obviously when you bring in a former MVP and a guy that really has a chip on his shoulder for being unemployed for pretty much the whole pandemic, he's really got he's really got the underdog mentality back with the skill set of a former MVP. It's kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. And um, people were counting the uh, the Patriots out at the beginning of the season because we all thought Jared Stidham was playing because they haven't signed Cam Newton yet. But once Cam Newton signed, I, I people like me, we rose our we raised our eyebrows and we're like, hmm, Bill Belichick and Cam Newton, could this get interesting? And sure enough, they may be one and one right now, but they're looking like a scary team. Yeah, for sure. I remember sitting with you at Buffalo Wild Wings during week one, and we were kind of looking at each other like, wait a second, this Patriots game, what's going on here? I mean, these guys really are starting to click, and it's only in the first quarter of week one. What's going on here? Exactly. I mean, obviously they played the Dolphins in week one, but like, like I said earlier, he was he's doing more RPO, he was doing more running, it was less passing, but obviously last week what we saw was we saw more of a passing game and he was able to show us again he does have the arm strength. He does have the accuracy. So I would say, Cam Newton, within these next couple of weeks, I'm looking for more improvements and, better yet, a winning record and possibly beating the Bills sometime sooner in the season because we don't know what they have against the Bills. 
Yeah, for sure. That'll be a good matchup for him just to, just to get another test in there, just to see. But the next few weeks definitely are crucial for Cam Newton to get that next uh, contract, see if he can get another contract in the next few years. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of something. Everyone, Cam Newton, the one that we're talking about right now, who has basically star power again, I think signed for the minimum salary in the NFL, which yeah. is about $1.2 million. So I, I definitely, that's definitely something that Bill Belichick did a great job of. All right, so we're going to move on now, everyone. Um, Adam will be back with us for the MLB segment, so stay tuned for that. Um, so, Ryan, we're going to now get talking with about them Rams and about them Eagles. So, L.A. Rams, Jared Goff outdid Carson Wentz in his house as the Philadelphia Eagles have started the season campaign 0-2. This is the first time they've started 0-2 since 2015. Wentz threw just seven interceptions in each of the last three years, but he has already thrown four interceptions this, so far this year. So, Ryan, is it time to panic about Carson Wentz? I don't know if panic would be the right word for this one, Luca, because like we, we've seen other quarterbacks come through. This is just such a weird year, you know, 2020, and... I don't know. It depends on how much Carson Wentz did in the offseason to get ready because, like you said, those seven interceptions was through a lot more games. He already has four in his first two games. And, I mean, like I said, I don't know if panic's the right word, but I do think uh, I do think maybe you got to give a look at uh, – how he's doing in his past two, in his past last games? Have they have, have they even been close? The first game, week one, decently close against the football team, but then they played the LA Rams, like you said, and they absolutely got the, demolished. So I don't know if it's him not getting help, if it's him just not being able to see the receivers that are open. But definitely something needs to go on here. I do think they do need to give a look into Jalen Hurts, who is their backup quarterback. And I do think that with it being this early in the season, anything can still happen. I know they're 0-2, but like, give a, give a look at Jalen Hurts, man. In 2019, in Oklahoma, he threw 3,000 yards, man. He's got a great arm. He can run the ball. Not saying Carson Wentz can't do this, but maybe there is a time now for Jalen Hurts. Maybe it's Jalen Hurts' time. It's maybe it's his team that he can revolve around here and get these guys on a winning uh on some winning winning some games. So I mean, is it time to panic about Carson Wentz? No, but maybe sit him for this next upcoming week, see if he can get his body maintained for uh week five maybe, and you maybe start him again. But I think this week maybe you should got you gotta go with uh, Jalen Hurts, man. He's been on that bench for a while. He knows the game very well, and I think he's with him being on the bench. He's been studying the plays. He's been getting his body uh, physically ready for these games, and w- when it's his time to get the call up, and I think his time to get the call up, Luca, is this week, man. Um, well, unfortunately, Ryan, um, I have actually had the, I actually had the opportunity to watch both Eagles games, and I must say. It is time to panic about Carson Wentz. He is in his fifth season. He's got market-type money when he got the contract. He was up three scores against the Washington football team in week one, and he started to turn the ball over in in first downs. He gave Washington life. He fumbles. He He tries to do too much when it isn't necessary. He makes bad decisions with the football. He is the problem for the Philadelphia Eagles. And if it continues, if I'm Doug Peterson, I might just look and be like, well, I got a rookie quarterback here in Jalen Hurts. I might just have to give him the helm sometime. But let me tell you this. Unlike last year, when he was playing with practice squatters and Greg Ward and Boston Scott and those guys, because 
um, Nelson Aguilar and Deshaun Jackson. They were out. But this year, this year, he has Deshaun Jackson. He has their new receiver that they just drafted in Jalen Rager. He has the dual tight end option in Zach Ertz and Goddard at his disposal. And last year, we all saw he had to overcompensate. And he actually did successfully to get to the playoffs. This year, though, he has looked like absolutely, he looks garbage. He looks like he's it's garbage. He's making mistake after mistake. He's trying to overcompensate when there's no reason to do so. It is un, he's unnecessarily engaging in a level of play that there's no motivation to do so. And I want to say this to Carson Wentz. You are not Lamar Jackson. You are not Patrick Mahomes. You're making Doug Peterson look bad. You're making your offensive coordinator look bad. And you're frustrating a lot of these receivers at your disposal because you're not going through the progressions that you should be. And you're trying to be a one-man show. Now, I do have to give um, the Eagles, um, they, they do still have some hope, though, because the NFC East is actually probably worse than it was last year. And then last thing, Ryan, um, to show up to your press conference 0-2, with Dallas and Washington with the win apiece, and you sit there and you say there's no reason to panic, I don't think the city of Philadelphia is worried about you. I don't think they're worried about the Eagles team as a collective unit. No, Carson Wentz. They're worried about you as an individual because do they believe that you still have it or do they believe that you have regressed? Because at the end of last year, I recall that you were co you were coming back from 10-point 10 10 deficits against the New York Giants in the Washington football team. So who knows? We may see a surprise. All right, everyone, we're going to go to break, unless, Ryan, you have something else to say? Uh, no, I'm just saying that uh, hopefully Carson Wentz can turn it around. But I, in my opinion, dude, I honestly and truly think that Coach needs to go to Jalen Hurts. He's a guy that can do things that a lot of rookie quarterbacks can't do. If you put Jalen Hurts out there, he's going to do things that Kyler Murray is doing. They both went to Oklahoma. They both started yeah. for Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And Kyler Murray, if you didn't watch any Cardinal games this week, this year, that man is absolutely going off. He's running the ball, and Jalen Hurts can do it just the same. They can both run the ball really well. Is it time to panic about Carson Wentz? We'll leave that up to you, folks, but he's not looking good. All right, everyone, when we get back from break, we're going to be going to the MLB.
Sorry, folks. Um, we're having a lot of technical difficulties today, so I, I do apologize for that. Um, we're going to move on to the MLB. So I will not be doing this segment. It's going to be Adam and Ryan for this one, but I will introduce it, though. For the first time since 2006, the Padres have secured a playoff spot. San Diego clinched a second-place finish in the NL West after a three-run 11th-inning rally to defeat the Seattle Mariners 7-4 on Sunday. So, Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this one. Do the Padres have enough to get past the L.A. Dodgers during the playoffs? Okay, so I'm going to start off by not answering that right away because I'm going to answer that in just a second. But uh, the question is, do they have what it takes in the playoffs? So I'm just going to go straight to the playoffs here, and this is what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about how right now in the regular season, Machado's batting Manny Machado's batting 313 for the Padres. The top prospect, Jake Cronenworth, is batting 304. And you got Will Myers, Fernando Tatis, and Jerkson Profar in the upper 270s. And if they can keep that up, I don't see why not they couldn't get past the Dodgers. And, and they do have a great starting rotation. Uh, and that, that rotation uh, consists of Zach Davies, Chris Paddock, Danson Lamette, and their big uh, pickup in uh, Mike Clevenger. So it really depends on, if you ask, can they get by the Dodgers? This is what, this isn't what I'm going to give you the answer. The answer I'm going to give you is... First off, will the will the Padres be able more than likely will they be able to get past their first round option, which they should be facing the five seed. It, a lot of things can still change with that, but the Padres should be facing the five seed in the first wild card round, and they should they definitely should get past that round. And then we'll move on to the Dodgers here. Well, they'll be playing the eighth seed. That they, they already got their first seed uh, locked up, and they will be playing the eighth seed. But it is the L.A. Dodgers. Although they may have the most wins right now in the National League, they may have playing uh, played amazing in the regular season, but it's the Dodgers, and we know what they can do in the playoffs. So will they be able to get past the eighth seed? It could be the Reds, and if it is the Reds, I will say yes, they should be able to get past the eighth seed, eighth seeded Reds. But if these two teams collide in the playoffs, Corey Seager is he still going to be hitting 325 for you? Mookie Betts is he still going to be hitting 295? Is he still going to is he going to be hitting higher than that? We know what Mookie Betts can do in the playoffs. Corey Seager we know what he can do. He's a guy that a lot of people write right off, but he can show you what he can do. So it depends on if you're going to get regular season Dodgers or playoffs or playoff Dodgers. You're going to have Kershaw. He's going to start games for them in the playoffs. Depends on if you're going to get regular season Kershaw or playoff Kershaw. It really depends, man, because right now I like my chances with the Padres if they do match up against the Dodgers because I, the Dodgers just choke too much, man, and this Padres team is here to stay, and they can show us what they can do. I will say, though, if these two teams do match up, look out because it's going to be a long series. I'm talking this thing could go seven because these two teams have great depth in their in their rotation in their bullpen and I think it would be one heck of a playoff round if it does happen but like I said if I if this does happen I do see the Padres just edging out the Dodgers um but yeah uh Alex what's your thoughts on this one man I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you but from what I heard you were picking the Padres in this series hold on Adam okay my bad Adam I basically said that I would have the Padres uh, edging out of the Dodgers just because it really depends on what are the Dodgers going to do. Are you going to get the playoff Dodgers or are you going to get the regular season Dodgers? And just we've been seeing too much in the past of the playoff Dodgers. They do so good in the regular season and then they just choke in the playoffs. And we all know how Kershaw can be as well. But like I was saying, so if these two teams do match up because 
they let's be honest, they probably will most likely end up matching up. They should be able to get past their wild card teams in the first round. I don't see why that should be a problem. But it's a great question, and I was basically saying how their top players, Manny Machado for the Padres, Jake Cronenworth, is he going to be able to step up in the big lights still? He's batting amazing at 304. Manny Machado's batting 313, like I said, and Will Myers, Fernando Tietz, and Jerkson Profar all batting 270s in the high up, upper 270s. So it really depends on are you going to, or, or more than likely, are these players going to stay at their batting average, or are they going to get hot and catch steam and just fire up those averages super high because my answer right now for you is I would love I would love to see the Padres knock out the Dodgers. I do think a lot of people would like to see the Padres knock out the Dodgers unless you're from LA and you're listening to this radio show. But uh, I do think the Padres just have a little bit more talent. They got the young talent and they just they can show what the, they've been showing the MLB what they can do, man. And I think this is the year that San Diego is going to try to go far in this playoffs. Yeah, for sure. The Slam Diego Padres, as, as they're calling him, you know, they can really swing the bat. But so can the Dodgers. They're number two and number three, respectively, in runs per game scored. So, I mean, they can both swing the bat with the best of them. But for me, it really comes down to pitching. Uh, my dad, ever since I was five years old, has been telling me, good pitching always beats good hitting. So when it comes down to a five- or seven-game series, you know, it always comes down to those top three starters. And when I look at the Padres starters, as of yesterday, Clevenger had to take an MRI yesterday. There's no word on that yet, but he left the game early. And really, the Padres rotation without Clevenger is looking mighty weak. Uh, I mean, obviously, Denilson Lamette has um, one of the best sliders in the game, and Davies is a good pitcher. But Paddock has not had his, his rookie charm that he had last year. So when I see those three guys, I'm really concerned about how they match up to Kershaw and May and Julio Urias. Urias, sorry. Yeah, man, but, I mean, you got to think of it like this. Like, the Padres, they're still going to go out there, and they're still going to score five or six runs a game in the playoffs. So, I mean... Yeah, the pitching does win games, and I agree 100% that pitching wins games. And I really hope that Clevenger's MLA comes back negative or something good happens out of that because they, I mean, they got him in, they got him in, at the trade deadline. They got him just for the playoffs, for sure. I mean, especially in that wild card round, the first round, you can it's a best of three. So you're only going to use three pitchers. And, I mean, in my opinion, I thought it was going to be uh, Clevenger, uh, Lamette, and Davies. Davies has seven wins for them already, man. That's just... It's crazy, but yeah, I do agree pitching wins games, but I just think that the Dodgers are going to find a way to choke it like they always do. The bullpen is good. Both of these teams have good bullpens, but I just I just feel like the Padres will find a way if this happens to come out and win, but I mean, like I said, I do think it would be a I think it would be a long series. I do think it would go either 6 or 7. But I mean, it really really just the never any question is what kind of Dodgers are you going to get? Are you going to get play, playoff Dodgers or are you going to get regular season Dodgers, man? That really is the question, because, you know, uh, being a Cardinals fan, we beat them a few times in the playoffs when we really shouldn't have, and obviously the Nationals last year. But I think Mookie Betts might be the piece that they needed, and it would be nice to have David Price if he didn't opt out of the season. But I really think Mookie Betts could be that piece that pushes them over the top. And, again, I agree with you. This is going to go the distance. This is going to have all of the games. I believe it's a five-game series, but if it is a seven-game series, I mean, still, it'll go the distance. It's a fantastic matchup, and I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, no, that would definitely be something that a lot of baseball fans would have on their mind. Uh, Luca, what do we got next here uh, on the sports show? Guess what we got, everyone? Mizzou football. Yes, right. That's right. Everyone, um, 
Guess what? So we have not had a the coach, a, a Eli Drinkwitz, I'm sorry, announced to the media he will not announce who is starting at quarterback ahead of week one's matchup against Alabama. So um, I'm actually going to start with Adam for this one. Um, which quarterback is starting for Mizzou on Saturday against the Crimson Tide? You know, the front runner is really Sean Robinson. He's a, he's a redshirt junior coming out of TCU, out of the portal a couple of years ago. He started seven games for him, and he has pretty good legs. He has a pretty good arm. I'm just not sure how I feel about his um, touchdown to interception rate. In seven games, he threw nine touchdowns and eight interceptions at TCU. So, I mean, really, he's going to have to keep that down. And if there's anyone who can do it, I have faith in Elias Drinkwitz. Yeah, no, that's a that is a great uh, a great answer. Uh, I would just start off by saying so. Mizzou pack quarterback room headed into twenty twenty, but yeah, Coach Eli Drinkwood says that that spot is up for grabs. Uh, real quick, I'll just go through the uh, the four quarterbacks that we have. Uh, we got Junior Taylor Powell. Uh, he backed up Kelly Bryant last year, so you can't write him off this list for starters. The problem is. He did really good last year as a backup, and I think that's where he belongs. I think he's a really solid option out of that backup quarterback spot. So I think, to me, look for Taylor Powell to be either the quarterback two or the quarterback three. Uh, then you got uh, Connor Bazalek. He's a sophomore. He's a four-star quarterback from Ohio. He's got a big arm. He can run the game. Uh, to me, I think that he's going to... He might get some snaps this year, but uh, it might not be that likely because, like I said, he's a sophomore, so you got juniors in front of you, and if they're playing to their potential, I don't think Connor's going to get that many snaps this year. Uh, you got Brady Cook, who's a freshman uh, from Chaminade College Prep. He's a three-star recruit. I went to Webster Groves, and I know that Brady Cook can throw the football. This man is no joke. He's really good. Uh, he's got his team a couple of state championships. He's been to, committed to Mizzou since September of 18. Uh, as a senior in 19, he threw for 3,000 yards, 33 touchdowns while rushing for 370 yards. Uh, first team All-MCC uh, honoree at two positions, quarterback and punter. Yes, he punted as a senior. It, it's quite crazy, but this man has football in his blood. However, that being said, he is a freshman, and I don't think he sees playing unless two of these quarterbacks get severely hurt, which we don't wish that on anyone. And, of course, the obvious so- solution here, it's, it, there's obviously no, there's no right or wrong answer, but junior, redshirt junior Sean Robinson, of course, joining Mizzou last year, leaving TCU with the Horned Frogs. Robinson totaled 1,334 yards, nine touchdowns, and eight interceptions in just seven games. I will, however, say, though, in two of those games, he did have a hurt shoulder. I do believe that uh, he was coming off that hurt, hurt shoulder, too, so he should be ready to go. And I think if Eli Drinkwitz has to pick a quarterback to face a tough Alabama team, you gotta go with the you gotta go with the veteran Sean Robinson. He's played college games, but so, so has Taylor Powell. But Sean Robinson is known as a starter, and I think this team, this Mizzou team, can rally around Sean Robinson. I think that Sean Robinson, he's got good legs. He can throw that ball really far. He's got young receivers. And uh, an Ennis Rackstraw Jr., he's a huge wide receiver that we got this year from Mizzou. I think that Sean Robinson can click really well with these new receivers, and I think Sean Robinson can uh, can step up and be that QB1 that Mizzou needs this year, man. But, uh, Luca, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely like what both of you had to say. Um, 
honestly, I believe the same thing as you guys. The six foot two inch, uh, two hundred one pound quarterback in Sean Robinson is going to be starting for the Tigers on Saturday, in my opinion. Um, like you said, Ryan, he had to sit out last year after transferring from TCU, and that's basically due to NCAA transfer rules. I'm not sure why those are in place, but they are. Um, yep, you gave us the statistics, and obviously with that injury of his, it probably caused him to be less effective throwing those uh, those eight interceptions. Now, I do expect to see both him and actually Basilak actually getting playing time in the first few regular season games, but Robinson is going to win the battle, in my opinion. Now, Robinson has those dual-threat capabilities. He's kind of like Lamar Jackson in a way. In 2018, he ran for uh, 230 yards and three touchdowns. His passing, though, is going to be a little bit surprised, surprising to some people because last year he had a full season to work on his passing skills, his footwork, and that decision-making of his. He always had good skill as a runner, but with the time he's had to develop as a passer, he could be a very good quarterback in the SEC. And, we may, and who knows, Mizzou may be able to surprise some people. And he always seemed... Um, in my opinion, comfortable throwing short while at TCU, like those slant routes and those curl routes. But with the deep threat that the Tigers have, and you know, you have good guys in Jalen Knox, Damian Hazelton Jr., you got Daniel Parker Jr., and all the time he's had to study these defenses, his deep ball can actually be, become a really um, a resourceful weapon for Missouri. I got to say, this quarterback is, battle is definitely going to be a fun one, but I do expect to see Sean Robinson emerge as the Tigers' go-to guy. So it seems like Sean Robinson is the quarterback that we have all predicted. Uh, stay tuned uh, Saturday. Turn it on. ESPN, 6 p.m. Them boys, them Tigers, them Mizzou boys looking to have a huge upset here against the number two ranked uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. It's coming your way on ESPN Saturday at 6. Be there or be square. And hey, go Tigers. Oh, man. I love that, Ryan. I really do. So, so let's let's turn gears, and we're going to shift to the NHL here. Yeah, that's right, the NHL. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals Game 4 will be played tomorrow between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars. The Lightning took a 2-1 to series lead just last night as they were able to soundly defeat Dallas last night 5-2. to All right, Ryan, I'm going to start with you, I'm gonna start with you in this one. Which team is going to win the Stanley Cup? It's going to be the Lightning. I don't see why it can't be the Lightning. Now, I will say Game 1, the Stars came out and uh, they led up the scoreboard. They won 4-1 to in Game 1. I do think a lot of NHL analysis have this game going the distance because both these teams are very good. I just think the Lightning have a better goalie in Andre Vazovelski. And the Lightning have, in the past two rounds, they've won 4-1, to one, and then they've won 4-2. to two. So the Lightning are on a rampage here. They want to go last year. I can't remember if it was last year or the following year, but one year they did really well, and they lost in the first round. They got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I believe it was last year, actually. So yes, the Lightning, yeah, the Lightning have something to prove this year. They want to come out here. They want to beat the Stars. And, yeah, game one, the Stars came out, and I wouldn't say they shocked the world, but four, they, they won by three goals. And that is just, in the Stanley Cup, in the Stanley Cup final, that's kind of unheard of. And game two was a lot better, you know, three to two. Lightning did win. And after that game, I was like, okay, this is going to be a, like a tough series, man. That was a one-goal game. And then in game three, Lightning come out and win by three. So I don't know. It's quite – I would say it's still up for grabs, but the Lightning have just – if you watch any Lightning games, they they score quick, 
and they get pucks on net. They got the better goaltender. They got Steven Stamkos coming back for them. The Lightning are on a rampage. They want to win, and I think the the Lightning are going to win this thing in six. As much as I'd love for it to go seven, because who doesn't love game sevens? Mm -hmm, I think the Lightning are just going to take this one, man. Uh, But it's going to be a good series nonetheless. Uh, Game four is set for tomorrow at 7 p.m. Of course, Stars have the home advantage, but that doesn't matter because no one's really playing at home. Yeah, they're in Edmonton, Alberta. Right, so... (laughs) Uh, but I do. I would like to say that I am very proud of both of these teams for going this far, especially having no fans. It shows a lot about what they want to do and how they are playing their hockey. And especially with the Lightning, I know I'm saying the Lightning, and I know the Lightning are out of some of their stars, but with Steven Stamkos coming back, Braden Point really stepping up, Vazovalski making some big saves, mm-hmm. I think that the Lightning are going to do this in, in six, man. I, Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, this actually reminds me... Um, the, the Dallas Stars really remind me of the Blues from last year. They're a very heavy team, and the Lightning are a lot quicker and a lot more talented, probably. So I think if Dallas is going to do it, they've got to do it in five or six. If you, The longer the series goes, the better the chance the, the Stars have to come back and wear the other team down, just uh, put it down into the corner, and just get heavy hits and wear them out. You know, um, it really comes down. Last year I thought... The Lightning were probably the best team in the league. And like you said, they got they got swept in the first round. But I thought they were missing that one piece, that one heavy piece. And they signed Pat Maroon, and it doesn't sound like a whole lot. He's only got 12 minutes, 45 seconds of average ice time in the playoffs this year. But he's really that veteran guy. He got it done last year. He's heavy. He can teach him how to play good playoff, tough hockey. And I think that could be a good thing for them in this series and try to, like, stave off. Um, the Dallas Stars for a few more games. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great answer. Uh, like I said, I mean, like you said, my bad, uh, the Stars do have to come out here, and I would say they'd have to win the next three games at least because the Lightning have played in too many Game 6s and Game 7s in their past series that they just get a lot meaner, tougher, and rougher when it comes down to the gritty, and they play like the champions they are. And I do think that, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on this one. The Stars do need to get something going soon. I think tomorrow's going to be another tough game, but of course, with Lightning winning Game Three by by a three goal margin, I think that the Stars have they need to show that they can that they belong here in the Stanley Cup Final and that they can go toe to toe with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Listen here, everyone, gentlemen. I gotta say, before I give uh, before I give my prediction, obviously. Um, I got to give the Dallas Stars some credit. They only finished the season with 82 points, which was for third in the Central Division and fourth in the Western Conference. I can name two teams that were better than them in the playoffs, and that would be the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. And guess what the Stars did? They dispatched both of those teams. So I got to give credit where credit's due, but I believe the Tampa Bay Lightning will be capturing the Stanley Cup this year. Now, obviously, Dallas has surprised us with no shortage of incredible stories that their fans will never forget. I mean, this is the first time they've made the Stanley Cup in my lifetime, but the Lightning are simply better. Tampa Bay has the reigning MVP in Nikita Kucherov and the reigning uh, Vezina Trophy winner and Andre Vasilevsky, who just entered the Stanley Cup Finals with a rock-solid 93 save percentage. Tampa Bay has that solid defense. They got Victor Hedman in depth. Tampa has also outshot the opposition in multiple games. And Dallas is the very first team in the final to have a negative goal differential in the postseason since the Blues in 1968. But the problem is here, the Lightning are on a mission. 
We know last year they fall, they fell short of those expectations over the past six years. In the Stars, they're a group that had a midseason coaching change, and they have made the playoffs four times in the past 12 seasons. Last time reaching in 2000, again, I was not alive. But when they lost, when Tampa Bay lost that first-round series to the Blue Jackets last year, it, they weren't just beaten. They were crushed. The Lightning got a hard lesson that skill isn't the only thing that wins out in postseason games. What they would need is that hard-to-play-against, sandpaper intangible, which would make them a full 200-foot team that requires opponents to earn their ice time. And they did just that. And I don't want to forget the opponents, or I'm sorry, the additions at the trade deadline, like Blake Coleman and Patrick Maroon. Now, it may not sound a lot like Adam told you guys, but he's right. There, it's not. It doesn't sound like a lot, but Patrick Maroon has that winner chemistry in his blood, and they don't need to overwhelm on the offense to win. They have gotten this far without Steven Stamkos. No one would know, but Steven Stamkos, like Ryan said, is coming back game four. I can't wait to see what they have then, but... We need to give props to uh, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point. They cannot be overlooked. But I got to give some credit to Anton Hudobin, who's the goalie for the Dallas Stars. He's played fantastic, but I just don't think the Stars have enough to capture the Stanley Cup this year. Well, it will be a fun round. Uh, it'll be a fun ending to a quite crazy uh, Stanley Cup playoff this year. But uh, obviously, you guys watch those games. Stay tuned because I'm I'm pretty sure there's going to be some uh, good doozy games coming up here shortly, especially with the Stars. They need to do something. They need to get something started right away. And we're going to go into some uh, trivia questions for Adam. I do want to say, though, we do have a tagline at the top of the hour, so there's a chance we might get interrupted, but we'll let it play, and then we'll keep going. Uh, Adam, are you ready for some trivia, my man? Oh, boy, I guess so. I'm not the best at trivia, but I'll give it a shot. Hey, I, you you have this first one down. You said you're a Cardinals fan, so I'm going to ask you, what was the original name of the St. Louis Cardinals? Uh, a, Perfectos, B, Brewers, C, Red Hats, or D, Brown Stockings? Um, I'm actually going to go with uh, the Brown Stockings. The, I know they were called the Perfectos at one point. I just can't remember which one was first. It would have been the Perfectos, and I'm gonna. I think it was then the Brown Stockings. Uh, Brown Stockings begin in the National Association in 1875, so that's a good answer. So one for one for you. All right. Um, before I give you a question to Adam, I just want to inform our audience that Adam is a. He's from St. Charles, Missouri, so he is a Cardinal fan. He's a Blues fan, and then we have a little Seattle Seahawks in here because that's his favorite football team. Just want to inform everyone that. All right. So. Yeah, can I real quick just say why the Seahawks are my favorite team so I don't sound like a bandwagon? Absolutely. Yeah, um, I was a huge Rams fan until the Rams left a few years ago, and then I, I was I was kind of sour about it, so I just decided I want a team who can beat the Rams twice a year in the division, and I looked at it and I said, hey, I like Russell Wilson. Let's see what they got. Hey, Adam, can I just elaborate on that real quick? Uh, I am actually a St. Louis, St. Louisan as well. Uh, I moved to the Packers for the same reason, because I wasn't going to support a franchise-leaving team, and I really don't like Stan Kroenke. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I understand what you're going through, and uh, I'm happy that you picked. I'm happy that you stayed in the NFC. That is that, uh, NFC North. That's really good for you. But, uh, yeah, so I'm happy that you decided to not be a Rams fan, but, I mean, these people are still a Rams fan. Good for them. It's just kind of hard for us. And when people ask us, why are we these certain fans, it's like because you don't understand what it's like to have – your favorite football team growing up ripped from you 
and I just I couldn't stay with them. So like I, I understand your pain, man. Well, gentlemen, the only thing I can relate to that is that um, I'm a Bears fan, and the Bears can never get it right at quarterback. That's simple. But anyway, uh, Adam, number two, who did the Cardinals defeat to win their first World Series? Is it A, the Philadelphia Athletics, B, the New York Yankees, C, the Detroit Tigers, or D, the St. Louis Browns? Oh, man. Hang on a second. All right, let's see. I'm going to go with the Yankees. You would be correct. Yes, and, uh, and that would be uh, they defeated them in a game, or I'm sorry, a series in seven games, and that would be in 1926. So good job, you're two for two. Hey Adam, you sound like a great guy from this call, but if you can't answer this question, I just I don't know what I'm gonna do, man. Number three, who did the Blues defeat to win the first Stanley Cup? I I don't even want to give you an option, but I will. <laughs> a Washington Capitals, B Pittsburgh Penguins, C Boston Bruins, D Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, it's going to be the Bruins. That's a great answer, man. My girlfriend got that wrong, but, you know, it's okay. Uh, yeah, go Blues, man. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. It's okay, Blues fans. It's okay. It's okay. I had I got to see a dynasty as a kid, but it's okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, number four, um, which Blues goaltender holds the franchise single season record for shutouts? Is it A, Brian Elliott, B, Yuroslav Halak, C, Jordan Bennington, or D, Glenn Hall? Ooh. Let's see. Can I get those options again real quick? I'm sorry. You kind of cut out on the first one. Yeah, sure. Um, so A was Brian Elliott, B is Yuroslav Halak, C is Jordan Bennington, and D is Glenn Hall. I'm going to go with Halak. That is incorrect. It would be Brian oh, Elliott. Man. He posted a 23-10-4 record while sporting a 1.56 goals against average and recording a franchise record nine shutouts during the 2011-2012 season. You were close, though, because they happened to play with each other that season, so you were close. Yeah, I was thinking. I had the right time period. <laughs> All right. Number five, which Seahawks running back was nicknamed Beast Mode? Oh, man, Marshawn Lynch. I wasn't even a Seahawks fan then, but I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, he was a quite feisty player, but, yeah, he, he definitely deserved that Beast Mode uh, nickname. All right, number six. This is also a fill-in-the-blank one. I hope most people know this, in my opinion, but who knows. Um, what nickname for the Seahawks secondary was coined in 2011? The Legion of Boom, baby. I remember that one, too. Yes, sir. We, you know, we we got Richard Sherman, we got Cam Chancellor, and Earl Thomas. That that was fun to watch. I'm not gonna lie. If uh, only we had a secondary like that now. <laughs> Number seven could be a tough one for you because I don't know if you were still a Seahawks. I don't know if you were a Seahawks fan when we had the Rams in St. Louis. But what was the Seahawks record in 2010 when they made the playoffs? There is options: A seven and nine, B eight and eight, C ten and six, or D nine and seven. Ooh, I'm going to go with uh, 9 and 7 on that one. And no, I was not a Seahawks fan then. I was still a Rams boy. Yeah, same here. Tough, tough question. Uh, it was actually 7 and 9, so just flip them and you would have had it right. But, man, that was a tough one. And I'm not gonna lie about I'm not gonna lie about that question. That is a difficult question. But I would just like to add the point that the NFC East might actually be worse than that this year. It's that bad. <laughs> anyway, all right, eight through number ten. 
8 through 10, or is it... Yeah, I do have it. Got it. Just want to make sure I got that right. All right, 8 through 10 has to do with Mizzou. Not necessarily sports, but just Mizzou itself. So let's see how well... Let's see how well you know Mizzou. All right. Which American president has, has a monument on campus thanks to his desire to democratize the populace with a universal educational system? Is it A, Abraham Lincoln, B, John F. Kennedy, C, George Washington, or D, Thomas Jefferson? It's Thomas Jefferson. I walk by, I walk by that every single day on the quad. You would be correct. And uh, everyone, Adam's a journalism major, and if he didn't know that, I may have to this get a little mad about that. And you're listening to KCOU Columbia. 88.1 FM. Okay, so that is the top of our hour. Uh, we got two more here for you. Adam, number nine, which U.S. president was Mizzou's mascot named after? It is a fill-in-the-blank, but if you know our mascot's name, it should be quite relatively easy for you. Yeah, it's Harry S. Truman. You are right, my friend. All right, last question. Adam, you are thriving through this. I believe you're uh, seven for nine right now. I'm going to have to double-check. But what year did Academic Hall burn down? A, 1800, B, 1842, C, 1892, or D, 1963? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the 1891. I didn't hear the last number, but 1890. Uh, did you say 1892? Is that what you meant? Yeah. You'd be correct. Yeah, he actually knows his stuff, everyone. He actually went for three for three on those Mizzou questions. So if you go to Mizzou and you didn't know those questions, study the facts. <laughs> hey, Adam, real quick, we want to thank you for uh, being on here today, giving us your sports aficionado answers and your opinions and predictions. Uh, like always, we appreciate you, and uh, we hope to have you back on soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'll see you guys next time. All right, man. All right, everyone, like always, thank you for listening to our podcast, and we'll see you next week, and Ryan will close it out. Yeah, next Thursday is going to be another good one. Uh, we'll be here at 2 o'clock, and hopefully we see you around. This is how we do every day. We be grinding, and if you want to come and test us, if you love them enough to turn off your music.